Hello, and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of lasting well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. This is normally where I would say that I'm joined by Dr. Rick Hansen, but instead we have a very special episode today, and I'm joined instead by my lovely partner, Elizabeth Ferreira. So Elizabeth, how are you doing today? I'm really excited to do this episode with yeah, you. Yeah, we've been really looking forward to this. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. I feel a bit like, ooh, I'm in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you made it to the I main roster. Oh. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, we've done a couple of these for Patreon, mm-hmm. but this is your first time doing it for the kind of main edition of the podcast. I'm really looking forward to talking with you about this because today we are going to be talking about premenstrual dysphoric disorder, otherwise known as PMDD. Mm -hmm. So PMDD has a bunch of symptoms that include anxiety, severe bouts of depression, and even suicidal ideation. It's essentially a very, very severe form of PMS, and it afflicts about one in 20 women though it's really, really challenging to find exact numbers on this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's a pretty good chance that if you don't have it yourself, you know somebody who does, and now everybody knows somebody who does because Elizabeth has PMDD, (laughs) and that's why we're going to be talking about it today. Uh, To give a little bit more info about Elizabeth, she's a graduate student at the Mm -hmm. California Institute of Integral Studies, where she is studying somatic psychology. She's in her last year. It's been really, really cool to talk about podcast-related material with somebody who is training to be a therapist and has been really useful for me personally. So thanks, love. Yeah, absolutely. We'll start on a sweet note. So, okay. (laughs) To kind of frame our PMDD episode here today, I think that it would make sense to just sort of start with your personal experience. Like, what's it like having PMDD? Yeah, having PMDD is really challenging. I think the best way to talk about it is to just kind of begin with my experience with it and how it started. So as a kid, I was always uh, a bit depressive. So once puberty hit, you know, it was really normal. And I think this is a normal story for most girls that are, you know, moving into womanhood where, oh, it's just PMS. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's normal to get, you know, the blues and it's normal to feel this way. But after the first year of my period, I really started to feel very different. And it was this slow creep of feeling like for one week out of the month, I was just not myself. Mm. So it started with I would have pretty severe bouts of depression. I would become very irritable, especially with the people that I was closest with. Things that I normally found very interesting and that I wanted to do, I had no interest at all. Yeah. As more years progressed, it started to get more severe, like mm-hmm. suicidal ideation, and it got very intense for a moment. Yeah. So, my mom was kind of tracking this, and at the time she was dealing with her own mental health, and so she took me along to see a psychiatrist, and she went through this list of PMDD symptoms, and she was saying, "Well, you have to have five or more." And I had every single symptom that was on the list. And it was kind of a a shock of, oh, wow, I I have a thing. Totally. So then as I got older, there really wasn't much uh, given to me that I could do. It was either you get on birth control or you get on antidepressants. And Mm. neither of those I really wanted to do because 
even though that one week out of the month was horrible, the rest of the weeks, I felt really great. I mm -hmm. felt like myself. Yeah. And I didn't want to trade out my good days for potentially elongating the bad days. Mm -hmm. But for a long time, it just felt like I had to live with this monster that would come and visit me every month. And it caused me a lot of pain and it really affected the relationships that mm. I had, particularly romantic relationships. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of do our due diligence here, I think that you gave a great rundown of the experience of having PMDD to just kind of quickly go through the diagnostic criteria. Mm -hmm. As always with our podcast, be kind of careful about self-diagnosis. But something that we've really found, uh, Elizabeth and I, when talking to various friends of ours who have really bad symptoms of PMS, but they may not be aware that there's actually kind of a different category here for PMDD that might explain a lot of the experiences that they're going through. And for some people having this moment of being like, oh, like you were saying, it's not just this normal thing that happens. Mm -hmm. This is a unusual and specific thing or a more severe form of a thing can really help like create some self-compassion and just let you know that you're not crazy and that the experiences that you're going through are really real. So some of those include things like mood swings, increased irritability or anger, depressed mood, anxiety and tension, a decreased interest in your usual activities. You've named a lot of these already. Mm -hmm. And then some other additional things. Uh, a hard time concentrating is a very typical symptom, as Elizabeth Falls oh, yeah. knows. <laughs> a lack of energy, changes in appetite, mm -hmm. uh, both overeating or undereating could be possible issues, then hypersomnia or insomnia. You can't sleep or it's incredibly easy for you to fall asleep. Another one that I know is a big one for Elizabeth periodically, feeling overwhelmed um, is a very, very common symptom of PMDD. And then various physical symptoms that include things like breast tenderness or swelling, joint and muscle pain, bloating, weight gain, all of that. And exactly as you said, you're supposed to have five of these for it to be like a formal diagnosis in addition to some other things. But if you just kind of look at that checklist and you've known for a long time that you have a particularly bad time around your period and you start hearing that list of things and you just go, yep, yep, mm -hmm. yep. It's a pretty good indicator. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who experiences all of those symptoms that yeah. were listed and I want to be very clear. I still experience these things monthly, mm -hmm. but I really want to give compassion and space for the fact that I think issues that are around women's cycles or disorders or conditions kind of get overlooked by the larger medical system in their for severity. Sure. Yeah. And like, this is not normal PMS. Mm -hmm. This is not just, oh, because it's on your cycle, you can handle it or try to push yourself to, you know, act normal or feel normal like you normally do. It is incapacitating. And a lot of women that I have spoken with or that I've, you know, seen talk about PMDD is that it really feels like a completely different person takes over. Mm -hmm. And it's like this slow creep. So you're not always conscious of it because it happens incrementally. And then all of a sudden, something happens one day and you are just thrown into the ground mm -hmm. and you cannot do anything. And it becomes this like mantra of just make it to my period, just make it to my period. Yeah. 
it's it's heavy. It's a lot. And I really want to make that distinction that people with PMS can have some of these symptoms, but these are incapacitating symptoms. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a great point. The severity is way higher. I do also just want to like affirm something that you were saying there. If this were a visible condition, this was a point that you made to me the other day. Yeah. If like your mm -hmm. arm fell off once a month and it took a week to regrow, we would treat this very seriously. Everyone would see it happening to mm -hmm. you. They would all go, wow, this is a huge problem that you're experiencing. Let's accommodate the situations around you mm -hmm. to help you with this. But that's not the way it works. It's an invisible ailment. I can't tell, I mean, physically at all when you're going through this or not. Mm -hmm. uh, we've gotten a lot better in terms of like creating symptoms that that help us kind of work through it as a partnership. And we'll yeah. talk about some of those in a second. And additionally, just like to make the obvious point, you know, if once a month, a significant percentage of men went through these kinds of challenges, like the whole medical establishment would orient itself extremely differently around this. So I just think it's helpful to like have those two caveats in there. Yeah, for sure. And and thank you for, you know, yeah, voicing totally. that because I have felt, even though I was formally diagnosed and I would tell people what I have, even people that I worked with in the workforce, there was a real lack of understanding the gravitas of what I was telling people. And even in my social groups, mm -hmm. friends, no one really understood really what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And it is like that. It's like a part of you gets chopped off mm -hmm. and it only takes time for it to grow back. Yeah. So I think that it would be kind of helpful here to mm -hmm. talk just a little bit more about your personal experience, what it feels like to you mm -hmm. when you're going through like a bad PMDD episode if you're comfortable talking about it. Yeah. So it almost always starts with a buzzing, like um, you could call it anxiety, mm -hmm. but that's uh, compounded by the fact that I cannot focus on one thing at a time. Mm. So my brain feels very scattered and there's a lot of, oh, you should, you should, you should. And I also become incredibly sensitive to criticism mm, and mm -hmm. the fear of rejection, it becomes overwhelming. So I start to hear tone, uh, maybe even like in conversations we have where I assume you're mad at me yeah. or I think you're being really critical. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the first step. Then I almost always start to have some body dysmorphia where I, I notice the bloat, the like soreness, my jaw gets incredibly tight and I kind of feel like I'm vibrating mm. and that vibrating feeling and all of these kind of start to tell me, oh, wait, maybe, maybe something's going to yeah. happen. Then depending on the month, because my PMDD can swing I either have no appetite or all I want to do is eat. I either sleep for 12 to 15 hours or I sleep, I don't sleep at all. And then usually it gets to a moment where my inner critic gets so intensely loud that I cannot function. Mm -hmm. I, I can't study. I can't write a paper. I can't watch an entire YouTube video that I really mm. like all the way through. And the only thing that I can kind of do is bounce from one thing to the other in yeah. this sort of manic thing because I'm. Yeah. it feels like I'm trying to run away from the thing that's about to hit me. Then 
the crash of the wave at the apex of it, it feels like the entire world is collapsing. It feels like no day will ever be good. Mm, Everybody mm -hmm. hates me. You know, I'm a piece of, you know, crap. (laughs) That's like the voice in my head. And I really struggle with feeling like, well, what's the point? Yeah. And then the suicidal ideation kind of comes in where, you know, you just kind of have a feeling of life would be easier if I wasn't a part of it. Mm-hmm. And usually what ends up happening is, and I think this is something that you can see, this is when it becomes visible, mm-hmm. is I get triggered by something and then I am not in control of my emotions. Yeah. I I start saying things and it's like all the tension that I've been feeling up until this point just explodes out of me. And, you know, I feel so sorry for whoever has to be standing there when that happens. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And then usually the tail end of it is feeling an immense amount of shame and guilt for not having been in control Mm. of that experience. Yeah. And then your period comes. And I feel amazing. It's like <laughs> it's like I'm in the Garden of Eden. I have all of this focus. I love yep. everybody. Yep. And even though I'm maybe cramping and maybe even having like a heavy period, it just feels so good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a pretty night and day experience. Yeah. And that's just to kind of put a pin in that. That is the hallmark of this condition, is that almost the moment your period comes, maybe not quite the moment, but within a day or two of that happening, night and day difference. All of a sudden, the world is rosy again. All of a sudden, you're emotionally intimate with your partner again, like the whole thing. And it can often create in the people in the system sometimes when the person who's going through these experiences is kind of early in their process with it or they haven't taken on some of the practices that can help it or they don't have a social support system that supports them in dealing with it, whatever it might be, it can create kind of a whiplash experience Mm -hmm. where one day things are so grim and then the next day they are so much better. And one of the things I've really noticed with you as you learned that this was a thing and you started to take on more and more and more practices oriented around supporting your experience and making it, you know, as good as it can be while you're in it, kind of raising the floor on the experience, having more months where it's okay, because another hallmark is that sometimes you have bad months and then sometimes you have months that are totally fine. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've really experienced is that it's gotten harder and harder for me to tell when you're in it. Mm -hmm. So that kind of like whiplash effect that that can, you know, put some pressure on the relational system around you has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller over time. Mm -hmm. And I just want to ask you about that. Like, what are some of the practices that you do that have really supported you in taking this on and in making it kind of as good as it can be? Well, the the doing answer is exercise. Mm -hmm. I have to go to the gym and I have to exert myself, particularly during that week. I never want to. You know, everything in my head tells me to just like sit in bed and cry and, you know, be smothered by your pain and sorrow. Um, Good time. Yeah. Good time. You know, yeah. it's mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but exercise has been a huge coping mechanism and it actually makes my symptoms much less severe. Yeah. And, and for me personally, PMDD can really trigger my rage 
And so being able to just go to the gym and smash weight around and listen to, you know, metal music, it's an outlet and it's a safe way for me to direct that volatile energy that I feel inside. Mm -hmm. The other thing is having a mindfulness practice around my PMDD. And what I mean by that is in the truest sense of I'm watching it and cultivating more of a sense of my higher self that can watch the episode happen so that I don't feel completely taken over by it. So before that, my identity was really attached to the PMDD when it happened. I could not tell the difference of me versus what was happening to me. So as I started journaling and tracking every day how I felt, and particularly every day what I noticed, I started to see a pattern and I could see it on my calendar Mm -hmm. where it was like, oh, every day on this date, it was a really bad day. And it happens about this week out of the month. And so getting a sense of when it would happen started to give me more resilience and preparatory action. Yeah. So kind of before my PMDD hits, I slow way down. I really lean on my practices. I meditate more. I take slower mornings just to kind of brace myself and prepare. And also inside of it, when I'm going through it, I really try to maintain this other voice that is just watch it. Just stay in the observing position. And when it's a really, really awful day, when I'm having that complete, you know, the floodgates open, I found it very nourishing to just get on my computer and type out every thought that I'm having. Mm -hmm. Just let the word vomit out. And often by the time I finish writing, however many pages it is, I feel so much better. So those are kind of, you know, some of the stuff that I do. Yeah, yeah. And I think that particularly like in my watching of you, Mm. it feels like the whole tracking element of it has been such a central practice. Yeah. And like keeping a very detailed calendar as you do almost every day where you do either some form of journaling and also um, you have your planner Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen you fill in uh, like emotional states into that planner based day by day basis. I've seen you fill out different weeks with like anticipatory, you know, PMDD question mark to plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Like this is around when I should be aware of it. And it feels like that's been a very kind of central block in the whole yeah. thing. Also, at least within our relationship yeah. and my relationships with other people, Being visible, Mm. like voicing what is happening to me has also been really helpful. Using us as an example, earlier in our relationship, I would try to hide it from you. Mm -hmm. I would try to either just not be available that week because I didn't want to put you through that. Mm. Um, And I think that's the story that also PMDD makes you believe, which like, oh, you are suffering so bad right now that it is unlawful and ethical for you to put this on people you care about. And that isolation actually makes it 10 times worse Mm -hmm. because the only voice you have in your head is the bad one. Yeah. So it's been really helpful for me to be able to just come in and tell you, hey, I'm in a PMDD episode. And also feeling from you a lot more spaciousness and going, okay, this is where I give her more time. This is where I don't put too much stuff on her. And so, yeah, that's also been really helpful and very new for me to have 
mm. external support in a way that I've never had before. Yeah, which is really great. I'm yeah. so glad. <laughs> no, I mean, it makes me feel great. And I think that that social support element, mm -hmm. whether it's from a partner or it's from a friend group, it's from a parent, regard, you know, wherever you happen to be in your in your life cycle with either having parents who are very in your life or maybe having children in your life or whatever it is, kind of just calling upon those different forms of social support can be really helpful. Yeah. One of the things that I've seen you do is really kind of externalize your PMDD experience. Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah. yeah okay. Let's get into it. Let's, <laughs> you know, let's, let's be exposed. <laughs> yeah. So I am just a very spiritual person mm -hmm. that is informed by my background and also the culture that I was raised in. But that's just something that I need and it really helps with my mental health. Yeah. So I have a magical practice. So I do spell work. There's a bunch of jars around the house. Like it is pretty witchy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Um, Between the jars and the plants, you know, you've really got it going on in here. It's the whole apothecary experience. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's, isn't it so juicy? It's pretty nice. It's so nice. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. It feels so good. Um, okay. Anyway, let's get back to the point. So for me, when we moved in together, uh, I lost my job. Mm -hmm. I lost all of my coping mechanisms that kind of helped me put a lid on the PMDD and get through it. This was right at the beginning of the pandemic for yeah. some context. That was when we moved in together. Yeah. yeah. So not only did I move in with my partner for the first time where you get zero alone time, but also my entire world got flipped upside down yeah. and I was in a pretty dark place and I didn't know how to cope with my PMDD. Like now I was in a new environment and it felt very dysregulating. So I started going down the rabbit hole and kind of leaning on some things that I had always felt an aptitude towards. And I started meditating every day. I started doing full moon and dark moon rituals, which really were just a set time on the calendar that I got to have a me day. Yeah, like um, a deep meditative experience, yep. go through the whole process around it. Yeah. You do a lot with rituals of different kinds, which again, kind of return to that tracking and like the calendar mm -hmm. and feeling that consistency and all of that. Those have all been super powerful for you. And having in my head, oh, I'm doing this to commune in a spiritual way mm -hmm. makes me actually do it. You know, like yeah. if, if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't do it as often as I do. Mm. So essentially, one day, I just was really feeling like my PMDD kept happening to me. Like no matter what I did, it was not getting better. I really started to feel it push up against you. And I wanted to do whatever I could to just take control of the situation. So I did a jar spell. <laughs> and it sounds really silly, I know. But for me... Spellcrafting is essentially a somatic way of interacting with your intention. Yeah. So all the herbs and all of these, you know, little gemstones or whatever that I used, they all have a corresponding intention and they engage my senses where I can touch it. I can see it. And for me, that's really psychologically healthy and it helps me to really believe that what I'm thinking is real. Mm -hmm. So that night, I wrote a list of 
the things that I no longer wanted mm -hmm. and I called in the things that I wanted mm -hmm. and put this jar together and it's still sitting out <laughs> on our shelf. And it's been a year since I've done that. And yeah. the the anchoring that that seemingly little silly jar does for me is a lot yeah. because it made me feel like I had some level of control over what was happening yeah. and that I had the power to make change. And regardless if, you know, the next couple months I still had some really awful PMDD episodes, I could look at it and go, oh, yeah, but I did that. Mm -hmm. I felt agent in my experience. And over time, I have felt my PMDD become more controlled. And you could, you know, say that's because I found new resourcing that really helps me. But yeah, having that practice and having that spiritual lens also gives me a feeling that like what I'm going through, that my suffering is for a greater good and for a greater purpose. And when you can zoom out of yourself because PMDD zooms you into this like one little narrow piece of everything's awful, you're awful, we'll never get better. If you can zoom out even an inch into thinking there's something bigger than me and what I'm experiencing is for this like greater thing, it brings me a lot of peace and purpose so that I no longer feel like, oh, this thing is happening to me. It's like, oh, this is happening for me and I get to learn from it and I get to really have a lot of compassion mm. for other people who maybe are going through something similar. Yeah. Yeah. And the self-compassion element, I think, has been a huge part of it. One of the ways that I've seen you externalize is by literally turning PMDD into like a character outside of yourself. Mm. You know, I forget what the name you gave it, like Sally, the Sally, P yeah. Sally, the PMDD <laughs> monster. There you go. Up, oh, Sally's here today because, again, it, it makes it not so much about like this is your nature. Mm -hmm. It makes it this is a thing that is happening to you. Yeah. And after a fashion, I think that the the jar spells, the practices, the the stones, the herbs, the plants, you know, whatever, these are all ways, secular or spiritual, mm -hmm. for you to get a reminder yep. on a daily basis of what your deep values are and what you really care about. I mean, as people who listen to the podcast know, I'm a pretty secular agnostic guy. As Elizabeth knows, I'm oh, a yeah. pretty secular agnostic <laughs> guy. She clearly a little bit different. Um, and, you know, that that historically has not created much friction inside of our relationship. If anything, it's been like a beautiful and collaborative thing. But one of the things that I've really appreciated about how you talk about those practices in general is with that framework of like, maybe something else is going on, maybe it isn't. But even if it is just the physical realm, even mm -hmm. if it is just the externalized practice of writing down deliberately, this is what I want, and here's what I'm going to take on in order to get there, that is a very powerful practice. Mm -hmm. And having the physical object in the space mm -hmm. that is going, nope, nope, you don't get to forget. You don't get to forget. Yeah. Here we are. We're poking you. It's right yeah. there. You know, there's the commitment. Mm -hmm. It's huge. It's awesome. And I, I truly authentically think that it's such a useful and powerful practice. Yeah, and just to piggyback off of what you're saying, I am a huge believer in that it doesn't matter what keeps bringing you back. Mm. You know, if if you have to go out in, you know, some robes and yell at the moon, you know, once a month and <laughs> rage, you know, great. More power to you. Yeah. If that if that allows you to do it every week, you know, and if 
say it's something different, something as simple as every day I do yoga. Mm -hmm. If that's your way in, awesome. I'm really agnostic and I'm not critical on the resources that people need in order to have mental health and also a sense of control and peace and calm. And I know my path is not for everyone, but this is the path that has worked best for me. Anyone who's listening to a show like ours knows mental health challenges are a part of life, but they don't have to define who you are. If you're navigating something difficult, one of the best things you can do is get some high-quality help, and the Dr. John Delaney Show is a great place to go for that. If you like being well, I think you'll really enjoy Dr. John's show. It was recently in the top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, which is just an incredible accomplishment. Dr. John has a PhD in counseling, he's been working with people for over 20 years, and the show has really a very cool format. Real people call into the show, and he walks them through how to make good choices related to difficult situations and common challenges, like facing depression, overcoming anxiety, or connecting with other people. You can send them your questions by leaving a voicemail at 844-693-3291, or emailing askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. It's a great resource for people and a really nice compliment to the work we do here on Being Well. Listen to The Dr. John Delaney Show wherever you get your podcasts, or follow the link on our website. As somebody who has a long history of painful acne and related skin issues, I know how great it is to not stress about what's going on with your skin. That's where our sponsor, OneSkin, comes in. Most skincare available on the market is designed to provide a temporary reduction in symptoms without addressing many of the underlying causes. OneSkin's OS01 line of products targets cellular senescence. This is a key hallmark of aging, directly with their proprietary OS01 peptide. The OS01 peptide can reduce the number of senescent cells by up to 50%, strengthening the skin barrier, improving skin health markers, and reducing visible signs of aging. I've been using their OS01 face topical supplement, and I love how simple it is. You just cleanse, you pat your skin dry, and apply twice daily. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code BEINGWELL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code BEINGWELL. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them, and please support the show and tell them that we sent you. We all know that the food we eat today affects how we feel tomorrow, but what if I told you that it could affect how you felt in 20 years? We're learning so much these days about our bodies, and one of the challenges for people right now is that there's an enormous amount of information out there, but it can be difficult to separate fact from fiction. We had Dr. Tim Spector on the podcast a few years ago. He's a professor of genetic epidemiology and the scientific co-founder at Zoe. And the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is truly one of the best resources out there when it comes to this stuff. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. And you don't have to just take my word for it. Avid podcast fan Naomi's Apple Review says Zoe Science and Nutrition is Super easy to consume, even if you don't understand the science, with loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting, cutting-edge science. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Naomi and millions of others transforming their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Great points. Mm -hmm.
great way to put it. Um, I want to ask you a little bit more about some of the internal practices that you do, like the psychological stuff, basically, yeah. the stuff inside the coconut okay, uh, that tends to improve your experience. Because I've definitely found it's an obvious point. But like as your overall mental health has improved, mm -hmm. your PMDD has also gotten better. Yeah. The two of them have traveled together a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of like one of the things that Rick likes to talk about sometimes is improving the climate mm -hmm. so that when the bad weather comes along, it's not as severe. And I've definitely found that you've taken on a lot of real serious psychological work as like a general statement yep. that has had a big impact on both your PMDD and just your overall you know, psychological high performance, if you want to kind of put it that way, and your emotional well-being and health. So are there some specific things that you've done that have made a big difference for you? Yeah, therapy. So at, at the peak, when, you know, we kind of had a coming to Jesus moment of Elizabeth, this is serious. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, it is. Um, <laughs> I started seeing a therapist and I started seeing a hypnotherapist. And so I was doing therapy twice a week for a couple months. And the therapist really helped me kind of start to calm my system because I was just like completely blown out charged. And we started to unpack some of my trauma and other things that were probably not helping my overall mental health. And the hypnotherapist was a very unique and interesting experience. She came from a Jungian perspective, which I'm a fan of Jung. <laughs> so spicy. Uh, <laughs> but essentially, it was like a guided meditation where I was really put in these really positive sceneries in my mind. And I'm very visual when I meditate. So it felt very teleported, like I was teleported to another place where I didn't feel all of these things that I have to feel in my everyday life. Mm. And so she knows who she is and I'm eternally grateful for the help that she gave me. And she gave me probably the most useful phrase that is now my mantra when it comes to PMDD. It was the key that I needed in order to shift the way that I looked at it. And she said, one day after I just was like losing it, I was crying, I was saying all of these things like, I hate this, I hate this. And she said, well, I'm curious if maybe you saw your PMDD as the time where you cannot escape all the things that you have been suppressing for the entire month beforehand. And I was just like, wait, what? And in my head, that just snapped something where I thought, whoa, what if I view this as how lucky am I that my body forces me every week out of the month to process mm, mm -hmm. and I don't have a choice in it. <laughs> yeah. it. My body is so wise that I have to look at it and I have to feel it. Mm. And when I started looking at it in that perspective, it gave me a sense of calm and also purpose to the experience that I had never had before, mm. where now this wasn't a thing I was running away from. This was a thing that I started to, in some ways, look forward to because, okay, it started to also be a clue on where do I need to write these things down and take them to my therapist, you yeah, know? totally. And so as that developed and I started taking that mantra on every month, I also started to really learn more about what I need in order 
to have that steady foundation of mental health. And I just need a lot of spaciousness. Hmm. Like what does what does that look like? Well, the first thing is I need to be very specific with what my responsibilities are, like what I have to do every day. And I need to feel like I am in control and in charge of my time. Mm. Because during that week, I don't feel in control of anything. Mm. And so if I'm asked to run a workshop or do a school final or whatever, yeah. it's not going to happen. Mm. <laughs> like, like I'm going to freak out. And that usually tails into my good days after where I'm just like stressed and kind of dealing with it afterwards. So it really means being spacious with my time where once I know that that week's happening, I don't plan anything with anybody. I try to get all my schoolwork done beforehand. That way, if I just need to sit in the middle of the room doing nothing, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And also having the autonomy and control as my career develops to be able to take that time so that I can show up for my clients and for the people that I really want to help. Hmm. So fortunately, you're in a position right now in your life where you can take that space. Mm -hmm. You're currently going to graduate school. You know, we're just going through a pretty long summer break right now where there's a lot of spaciousness. Mm -hmm. Then just in general, in uh, the practice that you're headed toward, Ideally, in a private practice environment, you get to control your time a lot. You mm -hmm. kind of get to choose who you see if you're fortunate enough to have enough clients that, you know, you can be deliberate and be thoughtful about it. And in general, those are just situations where you can control your time a lot. But I know that you've also been in situations at times where PMDD was happening mm -hmm. and you had stuff you had to do. Mm -hmm. You know, life moved onward. And it's really good to have that uh, general advice around when possible, take time for yourself. But it's not always possible for people. Mm. So when you're going through that experience, even as it's improved over time, as you've tracked it, you've prepared for it, you do your best to stay in movement, you're doing your exercise, uh, you've done some quality intention setting around it, you've externalized your stuff. When you're like in it, yeah. particularly if you also have to be accomplishing something and mm -hmm. you can't just shut down, are there things that you do internally that make that more bearable? I do the exact opposite of what my brain is telling me to do. Okay. What does that look like? It looks like I kind of start acting. Mm, okay. Like I pretend that yeah. I am a totally different person. Okay. You take on a persona. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this persona is sort of my type A persona <laughs> where, you know, I don't care what you need to do. You're going to get it done. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit aggressive. But I need it to be aggressive in order to, for me to move through mm. all the mental obstacles and walls that the PMDD is like putting up in front of me. Yeah. So it kind of feels like I become this warrior that every day is having to slay the dragon in order for me to write a paper or mm. in order for me to get to that appointment. Mm. And it is hard. Yeah. It is like slaying a dragon every single day. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the thing that I really want to make clear. In my experience with PMDD, you need to be able to take time during that week that you're experiencing it. Now, you can go several months not doing that and doing kind of what I said I did where I become a different person and I'm mm -hmm. like fighting the dragon, but it will come 
like the dragon always comes back for you. And sometimes it is way worse. And so I've tracked that the longer that I do that every month, like if I do two months in a row of taking on that, oh, I'm just going to plow through this. I have a extremely debilitating episode after. Mm -hmm. So it's not sustainable. And the only thing that I've experienced that is sustainable is being very real and honest with myself of going, no, like I'm not lazy. And this isn't a product of, you know, me being too sensitive. It's that my brain and my body are literally putting on the brakes and I have to listen to it. Mm. One of the things that I've seen you do as a practice, sometimes where you feel like you can't believe your brain, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier on, but I think it really has to do with this, mm -hmm. is that you really ask people yeah. and you get like specific feedback from them that helps you kind of disconfirm what your internal monologue is saying to you. Like you'll ask me specifically, Forrest, are you angry at me right now? Because I feel like you're angry at me. And I'll be like, no, I, I thought we were just doing dishes or something. Like, you know, it's a very inoffensive kind of thing going on. Yeah. And and you're just certain that I'm like pissed at you. Yeah. Because that's the stuff that's going on inside of your head. And, and it's not you. It's a thing that's happening to you. And it's all of the hormones and the neurotransmitters and the this, that, and the other thing freaking out. And it's putting it inside of your experience. Mm -hmm. um, and you're really good about that. You ask people often whether, you know, are are you mad at me? What exactly do you want me to do? What do you need from me is mm -hmm. a question that you'll ask. Like, And sometimes when you get a little overwhelmed, you'll essentially ask for help. You'll be like, hey, what do I need to be doing right now? Yeah. And you'll go through these very specific questions that tend to make things a little bit better. Yeah. No, that is absolutely yeah. true. And I think the real shame and killer of, of this thing <laughs> is that it isolates you. Yeah. And I think that's the most dangerous thing you can do with it is trying to cope and deal with this on your own because you're just going to be in a room by yourself with Sally, the PMDD monster. That's just, you suck and this is all bad and the world hates you. And so having people you trust outside of your PMDD be with you in it give you sort of an anchor and an external voice that you can attach to. And mm. that also really helped me separate my sense of I from the PMDD when I was in it. I think that's a really important point, by the way, right there. Yeah. Separating your sense of I from the PMDD. I yeah. think that's maybe one of the things that you've done that's been the most important because it's such a way to attack the shame that's associated with the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and look, I am more of a type A person than, you know, I appear to be throughout my daily <laughs> life. Um, but it's really important for me yeah. to achieve and to be successful. And from the family that I came from, it was always, you know, be a contributing citizen to society and all of that. And it has been so painful for me, my all of my adult life so far, to feel like I've always been slammed from my success, mm. where if I didn't have this thing, I mm. would have been in grad school years earlier, you know, sure. I would have whatever. And that's just not all real. You know, that's my brain giving the PMDD so much power over me. Yeah. And like, yeah, I do have very real limitations during that time, but I can learn 
to use it to my benefit. Mm. I can learn to use that time as like a break that yeah. I take from this type A personality yeah. that really, you know, wants to do well and take everything on. And particularly in the career that I've chosen, having introspection mm. and knowing thyself, I think is going to be a huge foundation in the work that I do with other people. Yeah, no, I think that that's super true. And I've seen a huge change in all of these things as time has gone on. And I kind of want to ask you about that. Yeah. So how are things kind of for you now? Mm -hmm. Like what does a more typical PMDD episode look like? Mm -hmm. How often is it bad roughly? Of course, there's going to be a huge amount of individual variation here, but just kind of getting, yeah. getting one take on it. Well, I want to give a caveat. So PMDD is under the depressive mood disorders in the DSM-5. So because of that, it's also affected by seasonal depression. And I have that on top of PMDD. <laughs> so my PMDD is better now yeah. because we're in the summer mm -hmm. and I'm not in school currently. I have a lot of spaciousness and time and I feel very resourced and I have very little stress. And that really helps me to have less severe episodes. Yeah. And I am prepared. <laughs> I am and I am also preparing myself for the stress that this next year is going to have where as the fall hits and the winter rolls in, I'm going to be a bit more low in my mood. I'm going to be more stressed out because I'm starting practicum um, <laughs> and my last year of grad school. So I'm sort of gathering my tools now to prepare myself to yet again fight the big smaug dragon that I know is coming for me yeah. come November, come December. Yeah. So to really answer your question, I'm just in a cycle where my PMDD is not that extreme. Mm. And I think like it's helped and benefited by all the internal work that I've been doing. But I'm really not going to know mm. how it's going to go until it hits me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly given the unique stresses that you're entering into, which you haven't experienced before because yeah. you haven't been in your last year of graduate school before. So and, and I think to say. Yeah. because PMDD is so dependent on our hormones and our cycle, you can't ever assume that you have it figured out. Mm -hmm. You have to constantly be a little bit on guard and a little bit curious about Ooh, how's it going to manifest this month? Because mm, then mm -hmm. you're going to be ready. Mm -hmm. You know, if you assume, oh, September is going to be the same as it was in August. It's not. It's never going to be. Yeah. And you're going to be caught off guard. And all of a sudden you're going to find yourself one day crying in front of your laptop over a paper you have to write and relying on your dear partner to get you through it. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've lived that life. Yeah, once yeah, we have. We have. Yeah. Um, oh, man. <laughs> It's so funny. Yeah, I think that you're making a great point here that kind of underlies a lot of the stuff that we just talk about on the podcast in general, which is that what often happens with people is they're facing a certain kind of challenge, like something hard is going on in their life. Mm -hmm. And so they take up all these great practices mm -hmm. that help them meet that challenge. And then who who would have known it? The challenge gets better. Wow, we're meeting the challenge in this really effective way. We're yeah. taking on all of these practices. We're doing all of this work. And then because it's better... They fall off the wagon and they stop doing the practices as frequently and they get a little lazy about the tracking and maybe they're not externalizing things quite as much. They're not taking on those agency experiences, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden things get worse again. 
And it's very natural when that happens for it to feel really devastating because yeah. it's been good for a while. Yep. And so all of a sudden feels like, oh my God, I thought I had solved this problem and now it's just back. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because it's made me also have like kind of a self-realization in this mm. moment of I fell into those pitfalls all the time. Yeah. And it really was a lack of consistency because mm. I thought, oh, it's cured. I'm cured, you know? And I mean, I've done a lot of things in the past. I've tried diet. I was on testosterone and progesterone for a while. Just as a caveat, I personally never chose to try antidepressants, but I did try other things. And it was always through this lens of there must be the magic pill or the magic thing or I outgrow it mm -hmm. that then it's over and I'm not going to have to deal with this. Yeah. And that's just not true. Yeah. And I think mental health is a job. Hmm. Yeah, it is for sure. That is our view on the podcast for sure. And if you have, yeah. you know, a condition or you identify as having a disorder, it's it's not like this thing that you're going to be able to forget or or throw into the corner. No, it, it's a career. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my PMDD, I treat it like a career Yeah, where I have these things that I have to do every single day regarding it. Mm -hmm. Even when I feel great, mm -hmm. I have to do them. Yeah. And, you know, with careers, they grow, they change, you learn more, you try things. Oh, this worked this time, this didn't. And, you know, it's sort of like its own entity that you have to be along the ride for. Yeah. Like I can assure you that it gets better, but it gets better because you work at it every single day. Yeah. Well, I think that was a beautiful riff there, Elizabeth. That was very <laughs> oh, inspiring. I was very I, like, ooh. Did you, I riff? You gave wow. me the tingles. It was really fantastic. No, I loved it. Oh, um, and I think it's just like a great, a great encapsulation of the whole territory where it is a practice. It's a thing you're doing all the time. It gets better, but it changes. Mm -hmm. You know, some months are going to be a little bit better. Some months are going to be a little bit worse. And as we kind of come to the end here, if you could give people just like one piece of advice about this. What would it be? Find the practice that you can have a daily relationship with. So again, I don't care what gets you through the door and I don't care what the door looks like that you're going through. All I care about is that you are curious about it every single day and that you're excited for times out of the month that you take to really spend some time with yourself. And whatever gets you to it being a habit, whether you need to be like me, where it becomes more of a ritual, you know, you go out on the dark moon, you feel <laughs> witchy, you come out, you smell like mugwort and incense, you know, like, or whether that is, <laughs> you know, or, or whether that's simply you, every Wednesday you sit in a meditation group. Yeah. Whatever it is, do that thing. And don't be ashamed and don't feel guilty for your way through the door. Yeah. Do we have a little bit of time to do one, yeah. one little extra? We do. Do you want to talk about something else? Well, I would just think it's really valuable for you being a partner mm. to talk about how the PMDD has affected you. Because I've looked through a lot of YouTube to learn about PMDD, and I see a lot of men who really struggle with it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of relationships end because of it. Yeah, for sure. So 
I think it's helpful for you to just like take some time to be like really honest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. All right. I mean, being frank, when it was really bad, things got really tough. Like Mm -hmm. it was really bad for a minute in there. And it's challenging because for, for you at times, it was about a seven to 10 day period where it was just very challenging to um, have a normal interaction, Mm -hmm. essentially. Every interaction became about being with somebody who was in a very depressed state or a very angry state or a very frustrated state. And it put a lot of pressure on the relationship, I would say. And that pressure was one of the things that motivated us to a place of like, okay, how do we really deal with this Mm -hmm. in a super focused way? There are going to be people in your life where they bring a kind of psychological challenge into the relationship that for whatever reason, you just don't want to deal with. Like you're you're just not there. You know, you're not there inside of the relationship. It's been a relatively short partnership. You like the person, but you don't love the person. And you're like, wow, this is just a lot for me right now. And I think that sometimes it, it can be okay for people to be really honest with themselves about that and kind of what they're willing to take on inside of a partnership. I don't mean that in a callous way. I mean it in just like a very practical and functional way. But we really loved each other, you know, and I really loved you. And um, we'd been, you know, obviously we've been together at this point for like four and a half years. And when we moved in together, we had been together for three years. Like there was a lot of water under that bridge. Mm -hmm. It was very important to me to preserve the relationship. So I was very invested. And I think that if you're very invested, it can absolutely work. And I think that... It would have kept working even if things had stayed in a bad place. We just would have really had to modify some of our systems around it. Mm. Some of the things that were really helpful for me are essentially just like the other side of all the things that you said. Being really prepared is a huge part. Preparation is enormous. Not scheduling things for the time where I suspect you're going to be in kind of a rough place emotionally. Mm. Understanding that it's not your fault. You know, if I get a reaction from you, maybe it's not because of something I did. Maybe it's just because of the place that you're in. Of course, take appropriate responsibility. If it's your fault, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be a dick. All of the standard caveats apply. But just in those times being like, wow, I'm I'm really sorry that you're going through this became kind of my like standard operating phrase Mm -hmm. and really also moving into a place where I'm not activating your shame. Yeah. I think that a very, very important practice for partners who are interested in supporting somebody through PMDD is being extremely attentive to understandable but misguided judgments that you might have about the experience that they're going through. Because things can get hard interpersonally, it gets very easy to get frustrated and to be like, you know, to have to have an energy around it of this is your fault. Mm-hmm. And I think that there have been times in the past where, you know, after three or four bad months in a row, I was just like, you know, oh, my God, you know, can we can we not do this? And the answer, of course, is like, well, it's not your fault. It's not a choice that you're making. And really getting clear about that internally, mm-hmm. I think, is extremely important for partners. Yeah. To bounce back, because I know I've been speaking more towards people who have it or who may have it. My advice for partners out there who are with someone who has PMDD or who maybe are thinking that maybe their partner does, Mm. because sometimes it's very hard for the person experiencing it to know or to track. 
Like my mom had to tell me mm-hmm. that something was very abnormal. Know that however bad you are feeling, mm. your partner feels it a hundred times worse. Yeah. And they are doing their best to keep it from you. Yeah. And the stuff that seeps out shows you just how much suffering they're going through. So the more compassion that you can hold, even when your partner cannot be compassionate towards themselves, is really supportive and helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's been a huge part of our relationship with that. An increasing awareness on on my part of that fact where it's like, (laughs) okay, you're feeling this, but you're feeling this a degree removed Mm -hmm. from your experience of it. Mm -hmm. And it really does just clarify like how tough it can be for people and how much of a challenge it can be to go through. Mm -hmm. But there's hope. But there's hope. (laughs) But there's hope. You've shared a lot of really, really good practices today. Mm. But again, Elizabeth, thanks so much for doing this with me today. I think this has been really helpful for people. I hope so. And, you know, I enjoy being a helper and I feel so special. You let me on your podcast. Yeah. Hey, and I hope that people really liked it. Obviously, mm-hmm. it was a little bit different, but I hope that people had a really great time listening, as good a time as I had recording it, because obviously I like talking with you a lot. So this was really lovely. And mm-hmm. today we talked about PMDD. Before we get into the recap, I wanted to let you know that Elizabeth has actually started a YouTube channel. I've linked it in the description of today's podcast episode. I'm a little biased, but I think that she's a total natural, and I'm really excited to see where she takes it. So if you'd like to support Elizabeth, if you'd like to support me as well, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to her YouTube channel. Again, the link to it is in the description of today's episode. We began today's episode with Elizabeth sharing her individual experience being somebody who has PMDD, and alongside that, some of its major symptoms. Common symptoms of PMDD include things like major mood swings, depression, even suicidal ideation. It can also include a lack of energy or a lack of desire to do much of anything at all, and alongside that, intense anger, anxiety, and other emotions. And Elizabeth described a common pattern that appears inside of her PMDD. At the beginning of an episode, she starts to feel itchy, almost, anxious, kind of uncomfortable inside of her own skin. Then she moves toward the feeling of increased irritability, and from there often goes toward sadness, even very depressed mood states. And then the episode tends to conclude with feelings of intense shame, particularly around how she feels like she's burdened other people with her emotions over the previous couple of days. We highlighted how PMDD is an invisible ailment, and therefore, like many other invisible ailments, it doesn't necessarily get the attention that it deserves. From there, we moved on to talking about some of the key practices that have really supported Elizabeth in managing her PMDD. First for her, and this might sound a little unusual, was claiming how it was truly a unique experience. These weren't just PMS symptoms. This was something that she really needed to take seriously and ratchet up the resources that she had at her disposal in order to meet this particular challenge. That then allowed her to become more of an advocate for herself, and really embrace the needs that she had when she was going through an episode, and feel better about meeting them as appropriate. It helped her embrace her authentic needs and feel better about meeting them during an episode. As a general piece of advice, it's really helpful to stay doing. In particular, Elizabeth's been really supported by exercise and different forms of physical movement. 
Alongside that, journaling, keeping a dedicated calendar, tracking psycho-emotional states, can really help you plan around your PMDD. And if you're partnering somebody who has PMDD, it can be really helpful to have a bit of a sense of when an episode might be coming. Then, self-compassion and self-comprehension. Understanding that this is something that's happening to you, not something that you are. One of the ways that Elizabeth finds her way into this is by kind of externalizing her PMDD. Uh, she joked during the episode about Sally the PMDD monster. I'm looking at my calendar at the wall right now, and she's written Sally down on like several days on the calendar that she thinks could be particularly bad. So this can be a really helpful way to almost be a little playful about it and understand that, ah, oh, this really problematic visitor is going to show up at your door, and now you just got to deal with it. But it's not your fault. We then talked for a while about some of Elizabeth's more meditation-based and even metaphysical practices. And just speaking as a very secular and very skeptical person, one of the things that I appreciate about how Elizabeth approaches those practices she doesn't really think that casting that spell, or however you want to phrase it, is the thing that changes the situation. What really changes the situation is her intentionality around it. So the spell becomes a kind of commitment, a reminder to her of what she really cares about, and that is a very powerful practice. So whether it's a jar spell, or a gemstone, or a trinket, or just a daily practice, a, a sitting practice, an ahimsa practice, whatever you do, a yoga practice, whatever you do that works for you. These are ways to reestablish inside of ourselves what really matters to us. And what matters is the commitment to the practice, maintaining it as time goes on, even as our problems improve. Because they're improving because we're doing the practice, right? So if we stop the practice, the problems tend to start to come back, and that can be really, really dispiriting for people. And I loved the key idea that Elizabeth closed with, that things get better, but they get better because you work at it. They get better because you find ways to express your agency in the world. They don't get better on their own. And claiming that, claiming that agency, claiming that ability to make positive change in your life is such a powerful step on the road to solving any problem. So that's it for today's episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a moment to subscribe to it through the platform of your choice, and maybe even leave a rating and a positive review. It really does help us out. The podcast has actually been growing a lot recently, which has been incredibly exciting to me. You can find us on social media. We have very active communities on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for the cost of just a couple cups of coffee a month, you can support the show. You'll also receive full transcripts of the episodes, expanded show notes that go into the research behind each episode, and ad-free versions of every episode that we produce. Finally, the absolute best way to support the show, tell a friend about it. It is truly the best way that we have to reach more people. And it's really incredible to me that the show has gone to the place where it has, with us running almost no advertising or paid promotion. It's really been word of mouth that's carried the show to other people, and I really can't express my gratitude uh, fully enough for that. But I'll try just by saying truly thank you. We'll have another episode for you on Monday. Until then, thanks for listening. 